Amen. Uh, tonight I want to um, talk about um, uh, the, the question, and it's a fundamental question that, uh, that must be answered uh, from the Bible in order for us to have a clear understanding of healing, and that is, is healing in the atonement? Now, I realize that's a theological terminology uh, that we don't usually talk that way. But here's what it really means. It means, did Jesus redeem us from sickness when he redeemed us from sin? Now, we want to start in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And let me apologize up front. If you're a note taker, this is going to be a frustrating service for you. Because there are 10 or 12 points that we'll get through tonight, depending on the uh, amount of time we take for each one. And, uh, and we could take each one of those points and teach its own service, multiple services, for each point. But that's not my purpose tonight. I have in my heart to kind of hit the high spots of some of these things. So about the best you're going to get are Scripture references. And you may not even have time to turn to some of those in the process. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 tells us a fundamental truth concerning sickness and the origin of sickness. It says, by one man's sin... Death entered the world, or I'm sorry, I'm, I'm misquoting that. Let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Wherefore, by one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. Now, the one man that's being spoken of is Adam. And it says, and we certainly know this is true if we went back to the book of Genesis, and we've done this on other occasions. We could go back to the book of Genesis and look at all the things that God created in the six days of creation. At the end of the sixth day, it says God looked at everything that he made, and he declared that it to be very good. There was nothing that could harm mankind. There was nothing that could bring destruction. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There was no thorns. There was no weeds. There was nothing that was imperfect in the world. God created the world in perfect form. And these things only appeared after Adam fell. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin. We only see sickness showing up after the fall of man. So we know that that has to be true. Now, Death and the characteristics of death were uh, byproducts and came into the world through the open door of sin. Now, concerning that, the Bible tells us very specifically that in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the uh, 28th chapter of Deuteronomy is, is uh, full of a lot of good information. The first 14 verses of the chapter talk about the blessings of keeping God's word, the blessings of obedience. But beginning in chapter 28, verse 15, Deuteronomy 28, 15, it says, But all these curses shall come upon you if you do not hearken unto the commandments of the Lord. And then it mentions different types and categories of uh, uh, the curse, uh, different curses, different types of curses. Cursed shall you be in the basket and in the store and the field and, and uh, the city and so forth. And during those lists, the rest of the chapter is about the curses of the law. During the, the, the rest of the chapter, it mentions 14 specific diseases or categories of diseases. By that, I mean it specifically lists uh, leprosy, which was the great uh, uh, sickness, the incurable sickness of the day. But then it mentions fever. And, uh, and fever would be a category of sickness that would cover scarlet fever, rheumatoid uh, fever, and uh, 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 rheumatic fever, I guess it would be the name of it. And uh, typhoid fever and other types of fever like that. And then it also mentions the itch, which would cover the category of all skin diseases. Eruptive skin diseases or rashes or, or whatever. And so after those 14 specific diseases or categories of diseases are mentioned, it gets down to verse 61. 
Deuteronomy 28, 61. It says, concerning the curse of the law, the curse of disobeying God's word. It says, and all these sicknesses, every sickness not mentioned in this book of the law shall come upon you. In other words, the 14 specific ones that are mentioned and every other sickness is part of the curse of the law, according to the Bible. And every other sickness not mentioned in this book of the law shall come upon you until you be destroyed. Now, the question, therefore, is what lifts the curse of the law? The curse of the law is the curse of disobedience. Disobedience is sin, isn't it? So this goes back to what Romans chapter 5, verse 12 tells us is the pattern. And that pattern is sin opens the door to sickness. Now, that doesn't mean the individual sin is the, the cause for every sickness that you're attacked with. It's talking about in a general sense, when man fell, when man disobeys God, it opens the door to sickness. Well, what lifts that curse of the law? Galatians 3.13 says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. The curse of sin, the curse of sickness, which is identified specifically in Deuteronomy 28 as part of the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Now, here's the point I want you to get. The Bible specifically identifies sickness as the curse of the broken law. The curse of disobedience, the curse of sin. Those are interchangeable terms. And the Bible also specifically identifies that that curse can and was lifted, can be and was lifted by the work of Jesus on the cross. In other words, the shedding of blood as our substitute. The shedding of blood by our, as our substitute. Now here's the question. If we're going to deal with did Jesus redeem us from our our, uh, from sickness at the same time he redeemed us from sin is healing in the atonement that's what that really means if healing is not in the atonement then why does the old testament use so many types of the atonement as the cure for sickness under the old covenant in leviticus chapter 14 i'm going to read some verses here uh, about um, the cleansing of the lepers I'm going to pick out some uh, some verses so that we don't uh, spend a lot of time reading the whole chapter. We could read the whole 14th to 15th chapters and, and uh, get the, the whole picture. But I'll start in 14, chapter 14, verse 2. It says, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest. And it goes through and tells all the things the priest is going to do. Uh, skip down with me to verse 12. And the priest shall take one he lamb, male lamb, and offer him for a trespass offering and the log of oil, and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And he shall slay the lamb, shed the blood of the lamb. He shall slay the lamb in the place where he shall kill the sin offering and the burnt offering. Now, folks, in the Old Testament, what does the sin offering and the burnt offering represent? Jesus. Always. He shall kill the sin offering and the burnt offering in the holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. Skip down to verse 18. And the remnant of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall pour upon the head of him that is to be cleansed. And the priest shall make an atonement, an atonement for him before the Lord. And the priest shall offer the sin offering and make an atonement for him that is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterward, he shall kill the burnt offering. Both of those represent Jesus and his sacrifice is our substitute. Lamb of God slain. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering, verse 20, and the meat offering upon the altar. And the priest shall make an atonement for him, and he shall be clean. Verse 21, and if he be poor and cannot get so much, then he shall take one lamb for a trespass offering to be waived to make an atonement for him. 
and one-tenth of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering and a log of oil. In other words, the cleansing in the Old Testament, God made provision for the cleansing of the leper through the atoning work of the sacrifice with blood, shed blood. Chapter 15 talks about people with unclean issues. Um, Where do we want to start here? Verse 2 of chapter 15, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when any man has a running issue out of his flesh because of his issue, he is unclean. Goes on and tells the things that he has to do. Verse 15, and the priest shall offer them, the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord for his issue. Then it goes on later in the chapter and talks about a woman who has an issue in her flesh. And it says um, in verse 30, and the priest shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for her before the Lord for the issue of her uncleanness. In other words, time and time and time again, the Old Testament uses an atonement. Now, an atonement is the Old Testament word. It means a covering over. The word atonement, there are several different uh, uh, synonyms that are given in Strong's Concordance for the word atonement. One is to purge. The other is to cleanse. The other is to pacify. It literally means something that stands in the place for something else. That's what an atonement is. It's a covering over so that God accepts the sacrifice, the shedding of the blood of the animal in the place of the person to, a, to an expected end. In this case, for both in Leviticus 14 and 15, for this case, or in these cases, it is so that the body can be healed. Now, the Bible also tells us in the book of Exodus in chapter 12, it says that uh, uh, when God was going to deliver Israel, the last of the plagues was the death of the firstborn. And when God was going to deliver Israel, he had them prepare the sacrifice, the Passover. And everybody was supposed to, to sacrifice a lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost and on the side post of the door, right? Everybody remembers that. Well, what did that represent? Paul said that Christ is our Passover sacrifice for us. Our sacrifice, our Christ is our Passover sacrifice for us. In other words, the Old Testament shedding of blood to protect Israel from the judgment of, e- of Egypt that came upon Egypt, which represents sin in the world. Egypt always is a type of the world. The, the only thing that saved Israel from that judgment, that they were due just as much as Egypt was due, was the blood of the sacrifice, Christ our Passover. Now, here comes the departure of, from Egypt. Israel goes, goes up to the Red Sea. The Red Sea represents the impassable void between the world, Egypt, and the other side, which represents the promised land. There was no way across, but God made a way. Now, the Bible tells us that the passing through the Red Sea, you remember the story how God made a divide. He divided the waters overnight, and they went through over, across over on dry ground. That represents the way that, that Jesus makes for us under the Father. In other words, the other side of the Red Sea was where God was going to meet with them. But they couldn't get to it unless unless and until God made a way. Now, that way was Jesus. So they passed through the Red Sea. Paul told the Corinthians that they were baptized unto Moses, which represents the deliverance from the world, which is a type of our salvation. Now, once they come across onto the other side, what happens? God identifies himself. By one of his seven redemptive names. Jehovah Rapha. 
I am the Lord that healeth thee. We'll talk about that and go back to that in a little bit later in the service. Um, but the, the thing about the Passover that you need to realize is not only did the shedding of blood provide protection for them, but they were also given instruction to eat of the flesh of the lamb, not to leave any of it back, or uneaten or unused. Now, what was this for? The Bible says specifically that God told Moses to tell the people that it was for the strength of their journey. And then the Bible also tells us in Psalm 107, it says that they came forth with silver and gold and there was not one person among them. Now, in a crowd of several million people, different estimates will give you different numbers. But everybody agrees that it was multiple millions. In a crowd of millions of people, how could you not have one people person among them? That means not one weak person, not one sickly person. You've got old people. You've got young people. You've got all kinds of people in that kind of crowd. How could there not be anybody weak or sickly among them except that God has identified himself as Jesus, as the, the God, I am the Lord that healeth thee, which again is the type of Jesus. Now, this same Passover in Second Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 20, 765 years after Exodus 12, 765 years. Second Chronicles chapter 30 tells us the story of where Hezekiah was king of Israel. And he decided after reading some or having the, some of the um, records read to him and the law of Moses and, and so forth, he came to realize that the Passover hadn't been kept in a long time, never in his lifetime. It was something that they had gotten away from. It was something that the, the people that were alive didn't even know about. It was if they had even heard about it, it was just kind of like a fairy tale. But in reading the law, reading the same Old Testament that we have record of, he decided, we're going to start doing this again. Now, it was interesting because when he decided to do it, it was the wrong time of year. One of the things God said about instituting the Passover was that it was to be done on the 15th day of the first month. Every year, that's when the Passover is supposed to be. That corresponds to about April of our, on our calendar. They operate on a different calendar. And it was already past the first month. It was in the second month when Hezekiah came up with the idea that we're going to start doing this Passover thing again. So he issued a decree throughout all of Israel. And he told the people, prepare for the Passover. Well, nobody knew what preparing for the Passover was. And because he wanted to make haste, he wanted to do it quickly. Not only were the people not prepared, but the priests were not prepared to offer it in the right way. So they did it at the wrong time in the wrong manner. And Hezekiah prayed for the people. He said to the Lord, his prayer to the Lord was, Now, Lord, I know we're not doing this the right way, but you see our heart. You know we're violating some of the restrictions and some of the requirements that you put on this, but I'm praying for the people because we're trying to get back to serving you. Deuteronomy chapter 30, or I'm sorry, Second Chronicles chapter 30 and verse 20 says that when they partook of the Passover, even though they were doing it at the wrong time and in the wrong manner, unsanctified, it said God healed the people. Now, what does the Passover represent? Jesus is our Passover sacrifice for us. So if, if healing, physical healing, is not a part of the sacrificial work of Jesus, why did the Old Testament sacrifice of the Passover, which represents Jesus, heal the people over and over again? Now, that brings us to another point, and that is in Leviticus chapter 29, I'm sorry, well, let me, let me skip over that one and go to something else. Luke chapter 4 tells us about Jesus entering his ministry. It tells us about how he was in his own hometown of Nazareth and he stood up in the synagogue 
And he read from Isaiah 61 where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. And he mentioned several things he was anointed to do. They can be summarized in this. He's anointed me to preach the gospel. He's anointed me to heal the sick. And then he said in verse 19, Luke chapter 4, verse 19, he said that he was anointed of God, sent of God to do something, and equipped to be able to do it. He said to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, what did that mean? Well, the acceptable year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee would come around every 50 years. And on the day of atonement, there was a trumpet that was blown. And that trumpet proclaimed that everyone was restored back to what they had before. Jesus said, this day, Luke 4.19, one of the things he's anointed and sent of God to do is to proclaim, to preach literally, or proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He's saying, I'm blowing the trumpet. He said, this day is this fulfilled, this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, it's the year of Jubilee now. Now, here's the question. How could Jesus proclaim the gospel area era to be attached to and connected to the year of Jubilee when it's connected with the Day of Atonement? Because he's the sacrifice. He's saying, because I'm here, the worthy sacrifice, the one that's going to be accepted of God, because I'm here, I'm already in position to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, some people try to put that off into the, to the millennium. Well, in the millennium, everybody will have healing. Well, you won't need healing in the millennium. Nothing can make anybody sick. Besides, Jesus didn't say in the millennium this is fulfilled in your ears. He said this day, this day, the year of Jubilee could not be proclaimed until the atonement was made for Israel. And Jesus was the walking atonement. Now, some people, bless their hearts, some people will say, well, Jesus healed when he was here on the earth to prove that he was the son of God. Think about what that means. That means the blood of Jesus was more effective inside Jesus than after it was shed. Than after he was sacrificed. You can't find any example, any situation at any time in the old covenant where the sacrifice was accepted until blood was spilled. It would be impossible to conclude from the Old Testament types. Remember, Paul said that these things in the Old Testament are given to us as types and shadows to reveal the truth of what Jesus has done for us. It would be impossible for an Old Testament sacrifice to be effective until the blood was spilled. If that were the case, then an animal would never have to be sacrificed. You could just bring it to the priest. He could examine it and say, well, no, this is a perfect sacrifice. This is good. So, Lord... You see, we've got a perfect sacrifice here. No need to spill the blood. Now, the Bible says, well, there is, no, there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. So in order for Jesus to heal while he was here on the earth and not heal as a result of his sacrifice on the cross, the shedding of his blood, that would mean that his blood was worth more while it was in his veins than the precious blood of Jesus that we're redeemed by. It's impossible. Absolutely impossible. So he proclaimed the year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee. And again, the year of Jubilee was, could not be announced or proclaimed until the sacrifice was made. Now that brings us to another, another point that I said we'd get back to. And that was the, the redemptive name of, of uh, God. 
One of them, the first one, the first redemptive name of God that we mentioned is um, Jehovah Rapha. But let's talk about some of the others. Now, you need to know this, and you may not be up on this kind of stuff, and that's okay. I don't expect everybody to, to follow this closely, but you need to be aware of what it means. And that is, Dr. Schofield, James Schofield, was one of the foremost Baptist scholars doctrinal scholars and doctrinal experts in, in the previous generation. He was, um, uh, I, I don't know too much about Baptists nowadays, but I know when I, as a kid growing up, if you had the right kind of Bible, it was a Schofield Bible. And the reason that everybody wanted a Schofield Bible, and I mean, it was, it was the Christmas gift. It was, it was the thing to have. Again, I don't know if that's the case now, some 50 years later. But, uh, but when I was a kid, that was what everybody wanted to have and it's what everybody knew that you were supposed to have because of the commentary in the notes that he had on there, in there. Now, some of his notes were wrong. We, we know better now. But there are certain things that he said that, uh, that even seemed to violate his own beliefs as far as healing and, and so forth. And one of the things he said was this. He said, Jehovah is without a doubt the redemptive name of God. And he went on to say that every name that God gave himself, and there are seven of them, reveal an aspect or a part of the redemptive work of Jesus. Well, I don't know what in the world he ignored the, the, seventh na- or the first of the seven names for, but he did. But let's go through those seven names real quick and see what they are. Jehovah Shammah is translated, the Lord is there. How is the Lord there with us? Through the shed blood of Jesus. Another name is Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord our peace. How is God our peace? How is redemption, uh, the characteristic of peace, a part of redemption? Through the shed blood of Jesus. Another one is Jehovah Ra'ah, which means the Lord is my shepherd. How is the Lord our shepherd? Through the shed blood of Jesus. How is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide? How is he our provision? Now, literally, it was talking about Jehovah Jireh as far as God providing himself an offering. But he provides whatever we need to. But how in the world was, was God our provision or our provider where an offering was concerned? Through the shed blood of Jesus. That's why he said all of these redemptive names, all of these names are redemptive names. And they're all attached to the, name, to the shed blood of Jesus. Another one is Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord our banner or our Lord our victor. How is the Lord our victor? Well, it's through the shed blood of Jesus. The Bible says, thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The sixth one is Jehovah Sidkenu, which means the Lord our righteousness. How is the Lord our righteousness? One and only one way, and that is through the shed blood of Jesus. Finally, the seventh name is Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord our healer. How then would the Lord be our redemptive provider of healing, if not through the same shed blood of Jesus, that the other ones pertain to. I know I'm going, a lot, I'm going real fast to this stuff, but you understand the point? Folks, there's a large part of the church world that says that healing is possible because God can do anything. But it's not a guarantee. If healing is not a guarantee, then the shed blood of Jesus didn't do what the Bible says that it did. Let me give you another example. And that is in Numbers... Chapter 16, after 14,700 people had died of the plague, there was a plague that came through the camp. 
the tribes of Israel because of their disobedience, because of their murmuring against God. After 14,700 people died of the plague, Aaron, as their high priest, stood for the people between the dead and the living and made an atonement for the removal of the plague, which was the healing of their bodies. In other words, the only thing that stopped the plague was that which represented the sacrifice of Jesus as our substitute. In other words, Jesus on the cross. Numbers chapter 21 tells us a story. We know this one very well, where Israel was discouraged because of the way in the wilderness. And they come to the place where they're just fed up, or thought they were. And so they start, start speaking against Moses and against God, start complaining. And the Bible says that the protective hand of God was lifted off of them because of their own sin, their own murmuring and complaining. The hand of God was lifted upon, from off of them. And the fiery serpents in that uh, part of the country that were there for 40 years that they never had any trouble with except when they sinned came into the camp and, and bit the, the people. Many people died, the Bible says. And they came to Moses and said, Moses, we've sinned. They realized exactly that Romans 5.12 is, re- is reality. Sin opens the door to sickness. They said, we've sinned. We're the problem. We need you to pray and get God to take this sickness away from us, these, uh, these poisonous snake bites and the poison that's working in our bodies. Many of the people that are, that are already dying, have died and many are already dying too. They said, we need you to intercede or stand before God for us and on our behalf. And so Moses was directed by God to make a brass serpent on a pole. And God said, lift that brass serpent up and whoever looks upon it shall live. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 15 that that was a type of himself on the cross. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up. And then he goes on to tell the great scripture that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but should have everlasting life. In other words, he's talking about his work on the cross that brings redemption, that redeemed mankind. Jesus said that was a type of himself. Now, folks, that's not some doctrinal idea. That's what Jesus said for himself. And so what did the brass serpent on the pole do? It did two things. It provided forgiveness for their sin, and it provided healing for their bodies. It says as many many of the people as looked upon the brass serpent on the pole lived. It did two things. It did the same two things then that it does now. It forgives sin, and it heals the body. As I said, Paul writing to the church said all these things were done and happened unto them as examples or types, and they are written for our admonition. That brings us to one final scripture, and I'll let you turn to this one, and that is Psalm 103. Psalm 103. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. This is a psalm of David given by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Verse 2, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Thank God there are benefits. Well, what are those benefits, David? The Holy Ghost said they were these. Who forgiveth all thy iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Now, can I ask you a question? Is he saying that the benefits of the Lord are different for the forgiveness of sins 
as they are for the healing of disease? If so, where's that instruction? If we're to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, we would have to understand, everybody would understand that that's through the substitutionary work of Jesus on the cross, through the shed blood of Jesus. Wouldn't we? Would anybody argue that? That's universally accepted throughout the church. And a part of the same verse, I believe very specifically that God had the Bible translated in a specific way for specific purposes. And that is, this is not even one verse later. It's the same verse. To deny the second part of the verse leaves you no foundation for accepting the first part of the verse. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. Thank God he's not through with his benefits. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. How does God redeem our life from destruction? Through the shed blood of Jesus. The substitutionary work of Jesus. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. How is he going to do that? Through the shed blood of Jesus. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. So that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Now how does he do that? He does that through the shed blood of Jesus. He's redeemed us and restored us to the place of authority so that our words bring to pass that which we desire. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now some people, bless their hearts, some people will stop there and say, well, but Pastor Mike, if healing is a part of the atonement, if healing was paid for on the cross by Jesus and by the shedding of his blood, then why do Christians still get sick? Well, we always have to ask a question in in, uh, connection with that. And that is, have you ever been tempted to sin? Well, certainly everybody has. Have you ever in your life, since you've been born again, have you ever yielded to that temptation and disobeyed God and, and fallen into sin? Well, of course, everybody has. Well, if Jesus redeemed us from sin, why is there still the presence of sin in the world? Because redemption doesn't mean it disappeared It means you've been freed from it. So how do you exercise that freedom from sin after you've fallen? 1 John 1, 9 says that if we'll confess our sins, then God is faithful to to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, when we do step into sin, fall into sin, stumble and fall, then the answer for that redemption or the application of the redemption, the benefit of he forgives all thine iniquities, is the confession of our mouth according to his word. Well, then in the same way, couldn't we expect the blessing, the redemptive blessing of healing, that the Bible says justice specifically belongs to us through the same work of Jesus on the cross as forgiveness of sins? Couldn't we expect that to work in the same manner? Yeah, praise God, it does. He sent his word and healed them. He sent his word and healed them. He sent his word and healed them. Well, now who did he heal? Who did he send his word to heal? Well, we would have to say, since healing and and forgiveness of sins are attached together to the shedding of Jesus' blood, we'd have to say that healing belongs to the same people that Jesus shed his blood for. Who is that? That's everybody. So healing is universal, just like forgiveness of sins is universal. It has to be because it was the same price that covered both, the shedding of Jesus' blood. We know from Matthew chapter 8 and verse 16, 
It says Jesus healed all that were sick at that, on that occasion that came to him, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. What is that referring to? It's referring to Isaiah 53, which talks about the work of Jesus on the cross. The shedding of Jesus' blood as our substitute. And that's the reason the Bible says Jesus healed the sick. To show that not only did his blood cover the forgiveness of sins, but the healing of every physical infirmity and every sickness and disease. That's why he healed. Not to prove that he was the son of God, but to prove that his blood was to do a work for sin and sickness. Surely he has carried our infirmities. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Surely. Did Jesus redeem us from sickness when he redeemed us from sin? Without a shadow of a doubt. No question about it. You cannot find one scripture. You cannot find one hint of anything to the contrary in the scripture. Not one hint of it. Over and over and over again. Like I said, we could take each one of these points and teach a week on them. On each one. We could build a case. In fact, the Bible does build a case that cannot be refuted. Healing is as universal as the forgiveness of sins because they both came by the shed blood of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all that Jesus did for us on the cross. Thank you that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, the curse of sickness, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Thank you, Father, that Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of Isaiah the prophet, referring to the cross of Jesus and the sacrifice thereof, the shedding of his blood. We thank you, therefore, Father, that just as we've been redeemed from sin, we've been redeemed from sickness. Thank you that you have judicially, through the work of Jesus, you have judicially freed mankind from sickness. And we know how we receive all the blessings of God. And that is by believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth. Therefore, we say we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. We declare from our heart, in spite of what we see, in spite of what we feel, we declare from our heart that healing is ours. We're as redeemed from sickness as we are from sin, and that was a total redemption. Thank you, Father, that the word of God is working mightily in our bodies. We thank you that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us and quickens our mortal body and raises us up. We thank you, Father, that the life of God is made manifest in our mortal flesh to restore us to divine health. Thank you, Father, that this is our year of jubilee. This is our year of jubilee, the restoration of all things, the restoration from sickness to health. In Jesus' name. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I don't know about you, but I preach myself happy. This is it, by the way. This is me happy. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.